The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. So today, our topic is about rising above scarcity. It's about being willing to take a look at the ways that we approach life that are born out of lack or limitation or a belief that there is not enough and to come up with the consciousness and the practices that can help evolve us into a different place, an understanding of the power of abundance in our life. In her book, The Trance of Scarcity, I love this book, Victoria Castle talks about how one of the greatest challenges in creating a more abundant life, and when I speak abundance, I am talking about money, of course, and financial abundance, but it includes every way that we all seek to have more than enough, to be more than enough, to feel the good that God is activated in our life and expressing through our life in time and money and opportunities and love and and all sorts of ways that we want to experience enough and experience the the spiritual satisfaction of that light and that life that God is through us. But she talks about how what keeps us from this often is our, our, our focus, myopic focus on scarcity, on not enoughness, our conversations, our consciousness, and how we have to get beyond that and move into a place that is filled with abundance. In fact, I would say scarcity could actually be called scare city. <laughs> that many of us are living our lives in scare city, and we scare ourselves all the time. We scare ourselves that there's not going to be enough for the future. What if I don't have enough time? What if they don't like me? What if they, what, what, we, we live in scarcity. And today this message is an invitation to pack your bags and move out of scarcity. Actually, leave your baggage behind. Let's just move to a whole new city. How about that? Right? Let's just move. We'll move to I am Metropolis or something. I am enough Metropolis. So I'm going to change the name of it throughout this whole talk because there's a whole new city that's beckoning us. And when I think about this, I think about people, those shows, and I've known people who hoard things, who hoard stuff. Now, that notion to hoard and hang on to things is often born out of a fear that I won't have what I need for the future. So I hang on to stuff, so I I hang on to this widget, because what if in five years I need a widget and I don't have a widget? To surrender the widget that doesn't bring pleasure, create a sense of sanctuary and love in our home, to surrender it to someone else who might need it more than us on an ongoing basis, and trust that in the future, if we need a widget, we'll have the money to buy the widget, we'll borrow the widget, we'll go to a consignment store and get the widget, we'll discover, we'll rent a widget, to, dis- to, to be willing to say, I'm not going to clutter my physical surroundings with things that no longer serve me is an act of abundance. I, I'm surprised often at how many t- things we hang on to that actually don't bring us joy. Yeah, I'm hanging on to that speeding ticket I got on the worst day of my life. 
Well, can you let it go? No, I can't let it go. It represents the worst day of my life. Why would you hang on to it? Let it go. Let it go. Let, let, I, could, I could burst into song again, you know. <laughs> but I won't because it'll get stuck in our heads, right? So it's about understanding that that, that propensity to, to hold on to things that don't serve us in our physical environment, that don't create sanctuary. I would like to live in a home where everything I look at represents my joy and my happiness and my fulfillment, not at things that don't serve me. I don't care if it's an heirloom that came down from my grandfather's time. If it doesn't fill me with joy, I'd like to release it. Now, that's just a small part of the physical realm. What I'm suggesting is that many of us, even though we may not live in that kind of of environment in our home, we're living in that environment here. We're hanging on to old notions, old memories, pain, mental equivalents, ideas about life that someone handed to us that give us pain, cause us to feel limited, that don't serve us, that don't represent the sanctuary of our own mind, and they don't represent the good that God is seeking to express through us. But we hang on to them. And so in our teaching, one of the first core concepts that we talk about in our Beyond Limits class has to do with how Ernest Holmes articulated a notion of abundance in this universe that invites us into a concept that there is plenty of good. Now, I acknowledge that when we look out into the world these days, part of what keeps us in scarcity is that we see people struggling And we fear for our own struggle, either for the moment or in the future. Or we ourselves have fallen on hard times before or currently, and it's stressful. And we look out and we see people who seem to represent inordinate amounts of greed and have too much or a lack of balance. And we see people struggling for the basics of life, for food to put on the table for themselves or their families or for a, a roof over their head or for medical care or for, for opportunities and jobs and, and economic struggles. So I acknowledge that that part of what keeps us in scarcity is that we see all this out there and we know we can do better. And we know as a, a community, as a human family, we can do better. But the key is to remember the we. It's not just the systems out there. It's not just the governments or the world leaders. It's that is part of it, but all of that is built on the infrastructure of every human being on this planet. And therefore, every one of us, when we see out there and we see things in the world of form that cause us to plant ourselves firmly in scarcity, that then becomes our challenge to say, I, for the sake of myself, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my brothers and sisters across this planet, must understand that I have to rise above scarcity, that I have to be a part of the impetus to move myself forward 
in consciousness, in practice, and not fall back into scarcity over and over and over again. And part of how I begin to do this, how we begin to do this, is to make a conscious choice to consciously choose to rise, to say to ourselves as though we were living in a city that no longer served us and say, enough, it's time for me to move. It's time. It's time for me to move out of scarcity. And in order for me to consciously choose to rise out of scarcity, I have got to move my mind and see all that is going on in my world and in the world around me And at the same time, do my own work to constantly be a place where the good that God is expresses. You see, we are all like in a river of good that is just flowing freely and effortlessly to us, through us, and as us. And we put up a dam. We build dams. And we, we block the flow of that good. And then we dare to stand there and scream and yell at the dam. Right? When it is of our own making. And part of what we understand in this teaching is that we at any time can dismantle it. We can choose every day of our life to live a life in practice that calls us to dismantle this dam and be a place where that good flows. And when that happens, we become a beneficial presence in our own life and on behalf of every other being. And what it takes is a conscious and constant willingness to do the work and to allow ourselves to see the new world, the new city, to continue to be a visionary for planet Earth of our new world order. I have a vision that is deep in my heart, and I allow myself to go there often, where I envision a world of plenty, where I envision people with more than enough, where I envision people happy and whole, where I recognize that on this planet right now, we have more than enough food to feed everyone. Right? We do. It's not that there is a lack of food at all. It's just the channels are getting dammed up through consciousness. First, that's where it starts. So we do our own work to be a space where we consciously move out of scarcity and into a place of abundance. And it's a new world, and we might be afraid, and we might, be, we might have moments of doubt, This last week, I was uh, part of the cruise, had me with a a dream come true that took place in my life. My, My wonderful husband, Ken, is a diver, and I wanted to go diving. I have gone snorkeling before, and I remember going in Cozumel, and it was so amazing what I saw, and I have for years thought, I'd like to go diving. And so we signed up for a special uh, dive excursion that was just a scuba discovery excursion, excursion, and it turned out that no one else signed up for it, so we had the dive master all to ourselves. And he took us and, uh, you know, introduced us to the equipment, gave us a lesson and a lecture. We got on the boat. We went out to a shallow place. He got us all hooked up. We got in the water, and he worked, especially with me. Ken has been certified as a diver before, but I never have been. And I'm going to tell you the truth. 
I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous about would I do it right, would I survive, you know. Uh, and I said to the, the dive master, Carlos, am I going to see any sharks in the water? And, and he said, there are two kind of sharks in Cozumel. He said, there's this bottom-dwelling shark that doesn't have any teeth and it can't hurt you, and there are taxi drivers, and that's it. <laughs> I said, okay. And so we practiced, and then, and then we got back in the boat, and they took us to the place where we were going to dive, and, and uh, we got in the water, and I, kept, I said to Carlos and to Ken, I'm a little nervous, I'm a little nervous, and they said, it's going to be okay, and so, so we, there came that moment where it was time to do what the mind says is impossible, which is sink down into the water and keep breathing, <laughs> Right? And so we sunk down into the water, and Carlos helped me to slowly keep going. I think we went down about 40 feet below the surface, and I kept, I'd look up a couple times, oh, the surface. Well, but then eventually something happened. I began to really turn my focus to what was below the surface. And I said later, they got it right in Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> all this coral that was moving and fish of so many colors and beauty, indescribable beauty. And it was transformative. First of all, I tr- my fears just went away. And I, I spent the whole dive and time had no meaning. I spent the whole dive transforming fixed by what we were seeing and this whole new world that I'd never seen up close and personal before. Fish swimming right by me in so many colors. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And when it was time to resurface and we slowly came up to the surface and came up to the top, I was high. I was just high. Now, I was high on a number of levels. First of all, at an interpersonal level, I had felt my fear and done it anyway. Right? Right? And that was good. That's always helpful. Number two, I had seen a world that I could only have imagined before then. And I'd seen on screens and in cartoons, but I saw it with my own eyes eyes. And when we left to go back to the ship, as I walked along, I said to Ken, I had this childlike joy in me. I said, I'm going to tell everybody I'm a diver. And I felt like this little kid. I'd go up to people, I'm a diver now. I'm a diver. Do I know you? No, but I'm a diver. You know, I was like, so excited and, and telling everybody about it. I was so happy. And, I, and I've thought about, and I will think about this moment for the rest of my life. Because see, sometimes to transcend scarcity is going to feel like it did that moment I'm sitting on the back of the boat and they're telling me to fall backwards. It's going to feel like that. Yeah, it's a new world. 
It's a world that maybe we've seen in our imagination and felt before, but that new world, it's beckoning to each one of us. And each one of us has to do our own personal work to transcend our own scare, our own fear, to let go of the belief systems that may have been handed down from generation to generation to you and me about how there's not enough and how people will always suffer and how we can't thrive on this planet. And we get to do the work to let that go. And it will feel foreign. But the world that is beyond scarcity, the world, the city that is built of I am enough, that God flows through, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And so each one of us gets to do our personal journey into I am enough metropolis. We get to claim our good. Ernest Holmes tells us, if you could realize the tremendous power of attraction that holds everything in its place, it is yours, this gift. It is the divine birthright of every living soul. But we limit ourselves by thought of limitation. Now we must open the doors of our consciousness and expand and expand and expand. And I love that. That's what we're being invited into. So in order to consciously choose this consciousness of abundance, we've got to do our work of alignment. We've got to align ourselves every day. This is where the practice that Dr. Rogers has been calling us all to comes into place. Practice, align, be willing to not just think about this, but to live it every day of our lives. And there are some practices that I'd like to suggest that we can all be a part of that allow us to have that heart-opening experience like I had in the diving experience of seeing a whole new world and being transformed by it. And they include these three things. Language. Paying attention to our words. To how we talk about our world. How much time are we giving to speaking about, talking about, criticizing, blaming, I aming, or whatever we're doing in our world about what's not right and how it's all falling apart and how there's not enough in any part of our world. And what are we saying about ourselves? That's the place where many of us just thrive in scarcity. I am not enough. I, won't, I can't have enough. I can't be enough. And we constantly live from that belief and then the world does things that prove us to be right and we say, see, there I was right. I'm not enough. Because we're leading with that idea and we're making wrong people who have things we want in our life sometimes. And I have learned as I teach about prosperity, this is one of the the best ways to block ourselves, to build a dam, is to make people wrong. Go ahead, just keep doing it 
And notice that when we make something wrong, we, we distance ourselves from it. We put another board up between that good that we say we want and the good that we want in our heart. For example, we don't get to say, I would love to be in love and to have a romantic partnership like no other. And then see some couple having a little too much per, uh, you know, public displays of affection and, oh, I can't believe they did that. I, that's just so disgusting. Guess what? You have just distanced yourself from that good. You don't get to look at people who are wealthy, who have the gift of abundance, and make them wrong for it. Now, maybe you or I don't want to be that wealthy. I don't know that I want to live in a mansion myself, but for people who do and want to, I bless them in that. That's not my path, but I'm not going to look at someone in that situation and criticize them for having too much when I myself would like to have more in my life. The minute I do that, I have distance myself from that good that I say that I want. In other words, we've got to bless people in the good that they have created for their lives, whether we want that good or not. We have got to give them permission to live the life they want to live and to recognize that someone having the good that they want in their life takes nothing from you or me. Nothing. We are the ones who do that. I used to love Reverend Ike, who was preaching in California many years ago, and he used to talk about how he would see somebody driving down the road in L.A. in their Rolls Royce or their Mercedes, and he'd be like, oh, there's a stupid rich person. You know, I don't like those rich people, and he'd criticize them. And then he realized what I'm saying was true, and he said, I've got to stop doing that. So I teach in my prosperity classes that what he used to say when he would see something in the world that he would want for himself that someone else had, recognizing there is no distance between you and them, that you are them and they are you, and you're not coveting their good, you're simply affirming their good, he would shout out, that's for me. (laughs) That's for me. Yep, and so I think we can do that in our own life and collectively when we see the good that's happening in the world, and by the way, there's a lot more of that than bad then we can say that's for us. That good that someone did, that's for us. I see someone being generous, that's for, that's for me. I see somebody being happy, bless them, and that's for me. I align, with, I align with that, with my words, with my energy. I bless people in their good and at the same time claim it for myself. That's part of how we use our language and our words and our thoughts to be in alignment with our good. The next part is that we are good stewards of the good that we have, and we are always in integrity with the good that we have and we encounter. Integrity is one of my favorite words because integrity is synonymous with wholeness. And I ask myself all the time in my life, when it comes to my time and my money and my energy and my activities, am I being in integrity? It's more than just telling the truth and being honest and, you know, returning things if you find them. It's also those moments, those small moments where we're tempted to reinterpret things, where uh, someone doesn't charge you for that thing you went to buy. And being out of integrity in my world is saying, oh, look at that. They didn't charge me. They're lost. Guess that means the universe wants me to have free soup today, right? It's about going and saying, I'm so abundant that I'm not going to take advantage of a company, a corporation, an individual, a person. I'm going to go out of my way 
to live in wholeness and to be a good steward of the resources that come my way, of the people that come my way, of the time that comes my way, of the opportunities that come my way. I'm going to stand in that integrity. And that can be so challenging at times. One of my favorite humorous stories is about a a crime family. And there were two brothers who ran the family. They were Tony and, and Louis. Louis. Louis, and uh, Louis, through this activity, one day he got killed. And so Tony went to the Catholic church to plan the funeral for his brother Louis. And they were planning the eulogy, and he wanted the father to do the eulogy. And he said to the priest, you know, at the end of the eulogy, Father, I want you to say that Louis was a saint. And the priest said, oh, Tony, you know your brother, and you know, I know what you all do. I can't do that. That's not in my integrity. And Tony said, look, Father, if you will say that Louis was a saint, I'll give the church a million dollars. Now, the church really could use a million dollars. They had roof problems and all sorts. And so the priest just, he prayed about this all night. And the next day when the funeral happened, he got up to do the eulogy, and he talked about Louis. And he said, you know, friends, Louis was a bad guy. Louis was a cheat. He cheated on his wife. He cheated on his taxes. He he hurt people. He was out of integrity all the time. But compared to his brother Tony, Louis was a saint. (laughs) Integrity, right? Creativity. But I believe strongly that a huge part of the building of consciousness of abundance and the rising above scarcity is to always have integrity and be a good steward of that which comes our way. I teach people to pay bills with joy instead of, oh, that stupid car payment, I wish I didn't have it. Oh, I'm so blessed. This bill gives me an opportunity today to be grateful for the car that I have and I gladly pay the bill. This house payment, these, to, to be a good, loving steward of the good that flows through our life. And the last practice is often the one that we reject the most, but it's generosity. And again, I'm not talking just about money, although that's part of it. I'm talking about being generous with yourself, being generous with your words of kindness towards yourself, being generous with your efforts and your attention and your intentions and being the person, the one person who will always say, wow, that was well done. And being generous with other people, always being somebody who when you leave a situation, people have felt your presence because you've made anywhere you've been better. As a child growing up here in the mountains of Colorado, we would hike and camp and have picnics up in our mountains, up in Garfield. And my papa would always say to us kids, let's leave this place better than we found it. So not only would we pick up our own trash, we would pick up the space and we would tend to the, the trees and the leaves and the rocks and we would, we would just be a per, people of, of love for our beautiful earth. We were good stewards. We were generous. We always made it better. 
And in my life, I try and I feel that people who do this, who stand in that place of, I am going to be the good that God is in every situation I come in contact with, and I'm going to be generous, are powerful people. Sometimes what stops us from that is that we have these beliefs that say, I'm not enough, so I can't give. I don't have enough time, enough money, enough energy, enough knowledge, enough whatever our story is, so I just will stop the gift from happening through me rather than giving what you can to people, to places, to situations. One of my favorite stories of generosity happened through my sister and my little nephew when he was pretty young. In my church in Arizona, they couldn't come to church even though they lived there as often as they would have liked. And one Sunday, they decided to show up. And uh, at the end of the service, when all the little kids came out and surrounded me, my nephew came running up to me and he gave me a big hug and he put three little sweaty pennies in my, in my palm. And I thought, I, don't, I wonder what this is for. And I said, oh, thank you, thank you. And then later when I was done, I went to my sister and I said, why did he give me three pennies? And she said, you know, that morning I told him that we were going to go to your church. And he got all excited and he ran into his room and he emptied out his piggy, his piggy jar and he pulled out those three pennies. And he said, mom, I want to give these to Auntie Shell's church. And she said, how come? And she said, he said, I just love that church, and I just want it to be there always for me and everybody, and I want to give these three pennies. Well, I'll tell you, we had many wonderful gifts come through our church, but to me, that was one of the most generous gifts I have ever received on behalf of that church, and it wasn't a huge amount. It was just right for his little heart. So don't let, in our world that we share today, some erroneous belief that you don't have enough, you aren't enough, you can't be possibly enough, keep you or me from being generous. I feel like in that moment, I was wondering, I'm a diver. It was that same childhood innocence that my nephew had, I want to give. He had no clue that three pennies in terms of the amount of money wasn't a lot, but in energy, my nephew was building that church with his love and his generosity. We can build a world together, a world filled with abundance, but we ourselves have got to continue to rise through our words through our stewardship and integrity, and through being the generous presence of being that God is seeking to be through each one of us as each one of us. We're being called to this together to rise up in consciousness.